If I haven't got to say it to you already, Merry Christmas. Hope you're having a great Christmas so far. I know I am. There's so many things as you step into this afternoon and join us for our service. You may have already done some of your most favorite traditions. You may have eaten some of your most favorite Christmas foods. You may have opened gifts that are now your favorite Christmas gift ever. I don't know where you fall on that. There's a lot of things that I, as a pastor and just as a person, there's some things I love about Christmas. I mean, I love the songs. I love that we just got to sing. I love that. I love the Christmas lights. For those of you who are brave enough to adorn your houses in such a way, I drive by you with mad respect. Like, I just appreciate that. I like that. I live in an apartment, so I don't do that. But my artificial tree is my best crack at it. So have to give me some grace this Christmas. Uh, but there's a lot of things I love. But there is, as I look back over, I don't know, the past couple Christmases, one thing that if you had to really press me, I would say that I hate about Christmas. And you may have some things you hate about Christmas, but I've got one thing I hate about Christmas. I hate waiting to open presents. It's the worst. And someone said, yeah, because you're my people. Like, you understand. It's the worst. It got so bad this year. And Lindsay and I, my wife, were so proactive that we sat down a couple nights in advance, like weeks ago, planning out our Amazon wish list. We were ordering gifts for the right people. We knew what each other wanted way in advance this year. And so everything was wrapped and beautifully done under the tree, but it was weeks and weeks away until I could open them. So last week we were having dinner and we kind of started talking about how much we both hate waiting to open gifts. And Lindsay was like, maybe because we've been married like five years, like we can just redo some traditions. Like, have you ever had these conversations? Like, eh, I don't know if we have to wait till Christmas or Christmas Eve. Like, let's just do it a week early. Like, let's just open them throughout the whole week. Let's do that. Now, some of you Christmas purists just wanted to leave right there. Like, you wanted to just leave. You're like, I can't believe you'd even consider that. Like, isn't that when Jesus was born? Like, yes, I totally get it. But I just hate to wait so much that I was trying to conspire with my own wife on how to open gifts early. It's horrible. I know you're, you're judging me and that's fine. Um, but I wanted to open them early. Now we all know what it's like to wait on something. We all know that there's things that we'd like to wait for. And maybe you like surprises, unlike me. Maybe you like waiting for gifts, unlike me. But there are certain things that universally, at least in our neighborhoods, we do not like to wait, wait for. Things like sitting at the mechanic. You're sitting at the mechanic shop. You had a headlight out and then you leave like 10 days later with a new engine in your car. You're like, how did this happen? I hate to wait the mechanic. Or if you know you've got like a root canal coming up and you're sitting in the dentist's office and you're waiting to get that kind of procedure done, I hate to wait for that kind of thing. Or maybe you've had some situations recently where you're at a kid's Christmas program. You ever been to some of these? Like parents, you know what I'm talking about. And you have to wait through like three waves of different grades, Christmas concerts, and there's the one kid who's like not even good at the penny whistle, and you're like, get off the stage, like I want to see my kid, like I don't, I'm sick of waiting for everyone else's kid, I'm ready to see my kid. It's so funny to me. Here's why I think all of us identify with the pain of waiting, is that our human nature, when we have to wait between something we know is coming or something that's promised or something we want, and that reality, that gap between those things, I, I don't know about you, but for me, waiting feels like a waste. It feels like a waste of my time. It feels like a waste of my energy and my resource. When I think back to the moments I just sit in waiting rooms for things or in the mechanic shop or in lines, I just don't like to wait. 
Now, I, I don't know how familiar you are with the Christmas story in Luke 1, but we can identify with that pain of waiting as we look at characters in the Christmas story. Primarily one, a young teenage girl named Mary, who hurt people, the Jewish people had waited for over 400 years. They were waiting for a Messiah. They were waiting for someone to set them free. They were waiting for liberation from Roman oppression, this empire in which they felt like outsiders in their own community. They were waiting for that. They were waiting for the Messiah, the promised one to come. And if you know anything about the scriptures, you know from Malachi to Matthew, this big idea, this big word called the intertestamental period, a.k.a. the 400 years in which God said and did nothing new. They were waiting. The Israelite people were waiting. The Jewish people who knew the Messiah was coming, but decades turned into centuries, which generations went by and by, and they were still waiting. And to them, probably there are moments in which waiting feels like a waste. Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke, in which we're going to look at in just one second, was a doctor. He was incredibly meticulous and wanted to be as accurate as possible to capture all the things Jesus said and did, his whole life biography, if you will. And so if you've got a Bible or you got a cell phone, I want you to get to Luke 1 and verse 26 is where we're going to start. We'll have it on the screen in the event that you can't get there. Luke 1, 26, we listen on this conversation taking place with this young teenage girl, Mary. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You found favor with God. You'll conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He'll be great. He'll be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? Fair question. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. Mary responds, I'm the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. This incredible conversation, we get a glimpse into this Christmas story, this awaiting of a Messiah seems to have kind of a culmination in this very conversation. And there's a couple of things I love about Mary's response. If you have teenage girls, just picture them in this scenario, right? It's a little alarming, but this is the real fact of the story. Mary would have been somewhere between 12 to 14, maybe 15 years old, and she had a fiance, Joseph. And so there was a time in the coming years in which they were going to be married. And yet, this angel shows up to her out of the blue and says, by the way, you're going to be pregnant. And it's not Joseph's. Like, think about the incredible fear, the worry, maybe the anxiety that such an announcement was caused. And we see before the angel said anything to Mary that she was greatly troubled, rightfully so, at his words. It's not every day that an angel shows up in your living room, right? 
just making sure that that's not a common experience. I've not had that experience yet. But Mary's sitting there and this happens. And she's greatly troubled. She wonders what kind of message this might be. Have you ever had that kind of conversation where they're about to say something, they say something and you know it's going to be followed up and you're like, what is about to happen? Like, what is next? What is coming? And then the angel Gabriel, this messenger from God, drops the bomb. You are going to be pregnant. You are going to carry the Messiah, the awaited one, the anointed one, and his kingdom will never end. Mary, you, young teenage Mary, you are going to be a part of that. You are going to be a part of that legacy and God being faithful to these people. And Mary asks another fair question, right? We've probably asked questions like this to God before. How will this be? Like, what is going to take place? And by the way, Gabriel, I'm a virgin. Like, I don't, I don't know if you knew that. I'm sure God told you, but I don't know what this is going to mean for my family. First century Israel, if you are a young teenage girl who's been a virgin her entire life, and an angel comes to you and says, you're going to get pregnant, and it's not Joseph's, it's going to be God's, how do you think you're going to explain that to your family? How do you think you're going to explain that to your fiance, right? He's probably asking some questions like, Mary, I love you, and we're supposed to be married in a little bit, but you're saying you're pregnant, and it's God's. Like, that doesn't really add up. At least in our day and age, that would not fly. Like, there are some serious problems that Mary's having to wrestle through. And so she asks a question, but look what happens in verse 38. If you've got your Bibles, you see what Mary responds with. After the angel shares more about how this is going to happen and says that no word from God's going to fail, she responds with a simple act statement of submission and surrender to what he what God wants I'm the Lord's servant Mary answered may your word to me be fulfilled then the angel left her Mary's people her family had waited for centuries for this Messiah and now she finds out she's going to be a part of it she goes from greatly troubled to asking questions to being fully surrendered to God's will to being fully given over, saying, yeah, I'm all in. I'm, I'm the Lord's servant. Literally meaning, whatever you want, God, I'm willing to do it. She sees God in the waiting. And when I look at this conversation, I think it's something that we often miss. Whether you follow Jesus or not in the room, or maybe you followed him for a really long time, there's a truth in this conversation that sometimes we just skip over. Every time it comes to Christmas, maybe we gloss over this part of the story. Mary recognizes in this conversation this simple truth, that God is always at work in the waiting. God is always at work. And there's maybe situations of your life right now. You think about, man, I, I don't have a clue how God's at work in this waiting. Maybe it's a, a, a diagnosis or a relationship or a financial problem or any of those things. Maybe it's a kid, whatever. When you look at it, it's hard at times to see God at work in the waiting, but Mary's story, centuries later, as she's a part of the, the final answer to that waiting, she recognizes God's at work here. There's something unique happening. There's good news in the midst of this conversation with Gabriel. God is always at work in the waiting. All it did for Mary was take eyes to see it. And this Christmas may feel like just any other Christmas to you right now. But be encouraged that God is at work in the waiting. God's at work. There's good news in store for you. I think about a conversation I got to have a little over a month ago with a friend named Tanya. Some of you know Tanya. She's been a part of our church for a very long time. 
But Tanya in the last year has dealt with some severe struggles, some severe seasons of wilderness and, and pain and suffering. And yet she is seeing God at work in the waiting. And she allowed us to record one of the conversations we had. And I want to share it with you this Christmas and then give us a chance to respond to this God who works in the waiting. So tune into the screen with me, if you will. Tanya, tell us a little bit about the season you've been journeying through over this last year. I was diagnosed with epilepsy out of the blue back in 2015. People my age did not get epilepsy. That journey um, has been a long one, but the wilderness period came about a year ago. Mm. That's when um, I said, God, where are you? I've been praying for healing. Uh, I've had people pray over me for healing. And I felt forgotten. April of this year was when it became really real. That was when the deep, deep um, wilderness period began. I was hospitalized. I don't remember any of it. Um, they said it was because of the intense seizure that I had. They called it amnesia from the seizure. Mm-hmm. And I lost basically 36 to 48 hours of my life. I, um, the doctor described it to me as I was having so many seizures that they were too numerous to count. Mm-hmm. Through all of this, still I was saying, what? You're not hearing my prayers, why? Why? Why aren't you moving on my behalf? I. I followed you, I've, you know, just wrestling through all of that. And I wrestled, I wrestled with doubt, I wrestled with disappointment. And why, why, why aren't you hearing me? I was dealing with anxiety, fear of what's gonna happen next. Yeah. They gave me the term medically intractable epilepsy. No amount of meds that I was on, no amount of the dosage, I was gonna stop these. So we went into testing. Um, she presented my case at a big neuroscience meeting. She called me the next morning and said, you they decided you were a good candidate for resection surgery. Wow. Which means they take out the part of my brain that has all the electrical activity that is causing the seizures. Mm-hmm. Had the surgery and recovery was rough. Mm-hmm. Still wrestling with those questions. Why? And how did God meet you even in that waiting? God met me at my deepest, darkest moment when I went, wait a minute, I am broken, I am alone, mm-hmm. no, a husband and a family who loved me, I, I, I had it all, but I was sitting on the couch one morning and I received a text from a friend. Kate and Amy um, sent me a text and it said, the devil whispered in my ear, you are not strong enough to withstand the storm. Today I whispered in the devil's ear, I am a child of God, a woman of faith, a warrior of Christ. I am the storm. And I thought, no, I'm not. I'm not not any of those things because the doubt had already been placed there. And at that moment, I fell on my knees, right over there in my living room. Mm -hmm. 
everybody was gone to school, work, and I fell on my knees and said, Lord, I surrender to you. Mm -hmm. You are my provision. You are my provider. That day was hugely significant because I never realized that I had not fully surrendered. Mm -hmm. He led me into the wilderness to become more like Christ. Mm -hmm. Wow. <laughs> and I didn't like that season I was in. <laughs> I still don't like it, yeah. but once I realized that that's why he led me in there, it transformed my thinking. Mm -hmm. I got lost in all the other things. I still don't know what the future holds. I'm in that waiting season. I've had surgery. I um, have not had a seizure since that morning of surgery, but I'm still on the meds. And I still have more testing to come, and I will not see full results of everything for approximately two years. Wow. Um, so yeah, I'm still waiting, but I know that God's in control. Mm. And for someone else who's going through something could be totally different sure. than mine, but they're still in that waiting period. I would say, I know this is hard, but, but God's working things out. He's right on time. <laughs> And he's right there with you. Mm. That story is so powerful to me for one reason. Is that Tanya's waiting season isn't over. The story doesn't end with, and everything became perfect, and I'm totally healed, and everything's gone, and everything in my family's right again, and I've got no money problems, and all these things. If you could overhear our full conversation, that would be really clear to you. What I think is so powerful, though, is that in the midst of that waiting season, Tanya noticed God at work. She saw that God was always at work in the waiting, and that was good news to her. And Mary and the people in Israel, when they heard the news that Jesus was being born, that Christmas had arrived, that was good news to them. And Jesus is really, really clear that the only way that you move from death to life, from knowing that, that your waiting is not in vain, to knowing that your waiting is not a waste, to, to knowing that you've become a child of God and you can fully surrender, is to simply do two things. The first scripture is clear. If you want to live a life that's full of good news, if you want to live a life that's fully surrendered to God and is broken free from the chains of sin and addiction and, and brokenness in our world, you have to repent. It literally means a 180 turnaround from the life you've lived, from the brokenness you're in, to the wholeness that only Christ can bring you, to repent. And the second is to receive. Repent and receive, to receive the good news. Notice I didn't say achieve the good news. I didn't say earn the good news. I didn't say enough merit, enough good in your life to outweigh the bad in your life. To receive the good news is to acknowledge in your heart that God has been at work in your life all along. And that every moment of grace, every good thing you have is a gift from Him. Is to receive the good news that you can be made a new person in Christ. I'm not naive enough to think that you're sitting here today listening to me talk and you're like, yeah, but you're a professional Christian. <laughs> and part of that is true, I guess. Like, I do work here for a living. But what's funny to me 
is that for many, many years, I grew up in a church just like this. My family is a part of planning this church that we're in right now. And I knew the right times to raise my hands. I knew the right things to say. I even knew all the right answers when it came to youth group or Sunday school or whatever else. I had grown throughout my middle school and high school years to really, really like Jesus. But I didn't love him. And I'd never really repented and received the good news he had for me. And about a decade ago, I had an encounter with God that really did that. That I fully repented, turned from sin, and received his good grace in my life. And I stand here today a different person. Not because of something I've done, but because of someone that I've surrendered to. And I've become different. As I look over the last decade, I just see transformation after transformation. People that used to annoy me and I hated being around them that I found myself loving and having affinity for and situations that used to cripple my faith now are opportunities for me to take a step forward in my faith. And I think about that and I know that that's Jesus' desire for you as well, no matter where you're at on the spectrum. So we're going to do something maybe a little different than what you've experienced on a Christmas service before. We're going to intentionally bring down the lights right now just as a means to focus. There's nothing weird happening. We're not going to take your money or any weird stuff that you may expect in church. But here, in this environment, I would be remiss. I would hate to leave this kind of moment without a chance for every single person to have the opportunity to respond to that good news, to repent and receive the good news Jesus has for us during Christmas. And so... Uh, the ushers right now are going to begin lighting candles throughout the room. And uh, as they light the end of your row, if you can pass the fire down or the flame down along the row, we're going to give a chance to respond to this good news. 